so much for singing out. Such a blessing to sing his praise together. Our singing challenges us too, doesn't it? Thou and thou only, first in my heart. My treasure thou art. We fight for that, don't we? And someday that will be true all day, every day, in the new heavens and the new earth. But the gospel is what makes that a reality in our lives. His grace fuels that kind of devotion. Legalism will never do that for you. Just make you grumpy and mean and everybody's critic and judge. And we don't need that. Press into what we sing and growth in grace and like every other aspect of worship. I'm going to read again this morning uh, verses 1 through 7 in in Romans 13. We're talking about uh, good citizenship. Last week was part 1, verses 1 through 4. So I'll point you back to that if you missed that. And then this week, 5 through 7. But I'm going to read 1 through 7 and then we'll pray. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those who that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath through the magistrate or the governor, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Thus far God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you. Sovereign King of the universe. And we thank you that you have given us your word. We pray that you would work in our hearts to treasure you and to treasure your word. And even today that you would apply your word to our hearts. Empower me by your spirit to preach your word. Truly, accurately. Apply it to our hearts by working in our hearts to see it as worship, to hear your word preached and to press into it, to strive and press into it, to understand it and live in its light. So, Lord, we bow in before you with expectation. We know that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who, who build it. So we pray that you build your house this morning. That you would build your kingdom, build your church, that you would convert 
and sanctify your people as your word goes forth. So we look to you. We depend upon you. We trust you, knowing this to be your will. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your holy word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. Benjamin Franklin. So Franklin is telling us, just as death is unavoidable, so are taxes. I guess the implication is that everybody loves paying taxes about as much as they love dying. And tax collectors down through history have been some of the most hated people on the planet. And sometimes with good reason. Sometimes they were crooks who would take more than they were supposed to and enrich themselves. And, but we don't have to deal with any of that in our day. But I think today, in these, this text, and in, in this section in Romans, if we'll let it, maybe will give us a different attitude about paying taxes. Give us an attitude that flows from a desire to please God. Give us a, a God-centered attitude to government, to taxes, and to how we are to respond to God's good gift of government. So maybe our attitude should be different. There's another thing old, old Ben forgot that is, is inevitable. And there's more than one, but I'll point this one out now. And that is judgment. So, certainly death and taxes are certain, but so is judgment. God has appointed for people to live once and to die in judgment. Reincarnation is a lie. You're not coming back as a toad or a frog or a person or Mark Cuban. The only reason I mentioned him is I saw him on TV the other night. said, and when I die and come back, I want to come back as me. Humble. But judgment is inevitable as well. And see, that's what Paul's been teaching us in Romans, isn't it? I mean, we're up to, we're applying the gospel and how we're to live in light of the gospel and now how we're to live in a civil society as we talk about governing authorities. But he didn't start here. He showed us that though his, his desire was to come and preach the gospel to the Romans, and he began to lay out that gospel by showing us in, in 118 through 320 that all are sinners. That none have kept God's law. There's none good. No, not one. That we all lost. Jew and Gentile. Whole world. The nations we're praying to come to the Lord are nations of sinners who need a Savior. And that includes you and me. And the good news is He turned and showed us then that Jesus is that Savior. And through faith in Him, and even that faith is a gift of God, through faith in Jesus we're justified. Forgiven for all of our sin and accepted as righteous in God's sight. Because Christ has lived for us and died for us and been raised for the grave for our justification. His sacrifice accepted. And then we talked about sanctification. Those God justifies, He sanctifies. That we were united to Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection so that we might be under grace and walk in the power of the Spirit and be putting sin to death. And then he's shown us his sovereign plan to save Jew and Gentile. And nine 
through 11. So we've seen that we all need a Savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But are justified freely as a gift of His grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this manner God loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That He works in us repentance and faith through the hearing of the Gospel. Do you know Jesus this morning? Is your hope in Jesus this morning? Have you come to the conclusion that Paul came to in those first chapters of Romans? I have sinned. I deserve condemnation. I need a Savior such that He's worked repentance in you, that the direction of your soul has changed toward Him. So that you've turned from chasing your own way and chasing sin and and pleasure in that to turning out of hatred of sin to submission to God and receiving Christ as your Savior. Are you trusting in Christ? How about that tax collector and the Pharisee? The tax collector was the one that went home justified. And he went home justified because he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you ever cried out to God for mercy and trusted in His Son? Christ saves us by His righteous life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection. We are ready for death. Corey taught us this morning that our, the Christian's best day is his last day. Because of the gospel. Not because we're good enough, but because Jesus is good enough. This is the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and raised the third day according to the scriptures, and that salvation is a free gift through faith in him. Are you trusting him this morning? Are you ready? To face that judgment. If you answer, if I ask you if you're ready to face judgment and you begin to say something like, well, I just don't know if I've been good enough, you don't understand. Let me fix that for you. You have not been good enough. That's why He came. You can't be good enough. Unless you can be perfect in thought, word, and deed, you cannot be perfect enough, and you can't. Christ came to save sinners. If you're a sinner, Turn to Christ and He will save you. And what He does when He saves us, the glorious news of Scripture is He gives us a new heart and a renewal of that law written on our hearts and so that our hearts turn to delight in Him and love Him and want to walk in His ways. So that's the different attitude that I'm talking about. We are to live with our eyes and hearts on the Lord and His will. And we take great joy in doing His will because He has saved us. And part of His will, part of His will, the text we're going to look at today is the second sermon on how do we do what verse 1 says in chapter 13, be subject to governing authorities. And listen, I'll point you back to last week's sermon. We obey government as much as possible until they ask us to disobey God, and then we must obey God. So that's a summary. Go listen to last, the last sermon, though. It will help you with this. But part of doing His will is that we support the authority structures He's put in place by honoring our leaders and paying our taxes. So today, whoever... Have you, Who's ever taught you that one of the applications of the gospel is that you'll joyfully pay your taxes? Maybe our thoughts will be a little bit transformed on that level today. 
Well, we're going to look at verses 5 to 7. It's just, again, the continuation of last week, Good Citizens Part 2. Main point, honor God and the magistrate. I just mean the governors, the governing authorities. Honor God and the magistrate by supporting and honoring the authority structures he has put in place. Just a very general, that's just a very general snapshot of of what we're talking about here. And uh, the first point I want us to look back in verse 5 at the conscience of the citizens. What is, what is the conscience of a, what we're calling a good citizen? And after going through verses 1 through 4, again, I go back and listen to last week's sermon. Therefore, he's kind of applying that here. Therefore, we must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath. He's already talked about him bearing the sword. And he's talking about God's wrath through the magistrate on evil. Right? But also... For the sake of conscience. So for that first part to avoiding God's wrath, again, go back and listen to last week. Ideally speaking, the government's job is to punish evil and reward good. And so in, to the extent that it does that, we are to submit to that and line up under that. But then he says the second thing in this verse. So verse 5 basically repeats the command of verse 1. And then the commands in uh, here rest upon verses 2 to 4. So again, please, if you didn't listen to last week, go listen to last week. But we're to be in subjection, not just to keep from getting caught and paying a penalty, but we're to be in subjection out of, I'm going to say, out of love of God. Right? So, but, but what is, he says this, he, he uses this word here, conscience in the ESV. Also for the sake of conscience. What is a conscience? It, it's our, it's our, it, it's a, if you want to think of it as part of what we call the heart, where we have mind, will, and emotions, um, this is sort of the moral component. This is the moral, our moral center. That this is that inter, inner, not inner, inner moral compass that God has put in our heart. Right? The law, God's law, being written on our heart. And yes, it was marred in the fall, but it was not lost. And it's our inner moral compass implanted by God. It's what enables us to distinguish between right and wrong. It's a reflection, like I say, of God's moral law on our heart. But here's the category. Here's the the qualification. The conscience must be well informed in order to function rightly. Because of the fall, we will justify sin if we're not careful. In our consciences. So our consciences must be well informed. I would say they must be converted. And then they must be well informed. If they're going to function properly. The way they function properly is being informed by the word that has been applied by the spirit. So that my moral center and will lines up with God's moral will. Go read Psalm 119. Longest psalm of the psalms. But that's what you'll see over and over and over in that psalm. The cry of a converted heart. Oh, how I delight in your law. Your precepts are my teachers. Oh, that I kept your law in thought, word, and deed. So a well-informed conscience is a converted conscience that's been informed by Scripture so that it operates Operates rightly and operating rightly is it agreeing with God and his law, his word. So scripture in the heart is vital because otherwise we justify all kinds of foolishness. 
in our heart. The heart is deceitful. Wicked, sick, Jeremiah said. Above all, it must be replaced in conversion, new heart, and then informed by the Scripture to operate properly. A well-trained conscience always agrees with God and seeks to apply His commands out of love for Him. So if you're finding yourself disagreeing with God at any point, that there's some wires crossed that need to be redirected. If you think God is withholding anything good from you, there's wires crossed. If you think you know better than God, boy, they're sparking all over the place. If you know better than God, number one, you don't. Number two, welcome to omniscience. You don't have that. Welcome to pride. That's what it is. See, R.C. Sproul gives us a good warning. He says this, We have to remember that acting according to conscience may sometimes be sin as well. If the conscience is misinformed, then we seek the reasons for this misinformation. Is it misinformed because the person has been negligent in studying the Word of God? See, the Spirit works through the Word to make us like Jesus. Not our feelings, not our hope-sos, not our neighbor's good advice necessarily. The Spirit works through the completed Word of God. Revelation from God that is authoritative for His church is right here in this book and nowhere else. He works through His Word. To Jesus prayed, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. So this is why I press me and I press you to be in His Word. Otherwise, you will be taken captive by sin. The deceitfulness of sin will gain an advantage over you because you won't be able to, re- to discern Maybe, maybe it'll come through a preacher who looks cool and wears a shirt and is good looking and well spoken and is spouting heresy after heresy. But he sounds good doing it. And he'll quote a verse of scripture every once in a while. There's a lot of those out there these days. There's a lot of them. Beware. But if, see if you're a Berean, Paul said, they were more noble minds. They heard the preaching with joy, but then they went home and searched the Scriptures to make sure what this cat was telling them was true. And you better do that with me. And you better do that with Corey and anybody else that preaches. You better make sure what we're telling you is is the truth. And how do you know it's true? It lines up with the Word of God. So beware of that misinformed conscience that will lead you into error. So it says here in verse 5, we must be in subjection, yes, to avoid paying the penalty, paying stupid tax, Dave Ramsey and others, but also out of love for God, also for sake of conscience and to have a peaceful conscience that's not convicting us of sin because we didn't pay attention to God. As applied to authority, this conscience should lead us to submit as much as possible Listen, here's the foundational reason. To submit as much as possible because God says it's right. I'm saying as much as possible. And you might need to go listen to last week because it's not always possible to submit and obey 
worldly rulers because they're at, they take over God's throne and try to get you to disobey Him. But as much as possible, this conscience should help us and lead us in submitting to God's, God's authority structures because He commands it. We know if He commands it, it's for our good, don't we? So we do not honor God by complying simply to avoid the penalty. We honor Him by submitting to the rulers that He has given us out of conscience because we recognize that He has ordained the state. Look at, look at verse, just verse 4 has it twice. He's, he's God's servant or He is the servant of God. We'll see kind of that language in our text as well in the, in the next verse. You see, the conscience of the citizen in is Godward. So the, the good citizen looks to God, trusts in God, believes God's Word, and seeks to live in accord with God's Word in this world. And one of the ways that we live in accord with God's Word in this world is by submitting ourselves to the governing authorities that He has put in place. That He has put in place. They're His servant. We talked about that last week. Again, I'll point you back. Look in verse 6. Now, the protection of the citizens. Okay, for the sake, not just to avoid wrath, but for the sake of conscience. He says, because of this, you also pay taxes. You also pay taxes for, why do we pay taxes? For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So, they are, they are servants of God. They are, and they don't all realize that. And they don't all live that way. But God has put civil government in place to promote order and peace. Right? Ideally. We're speaking ideally. Right? And, and so that the church can function in the midst of that order and peace to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Big picture. What he's up to. The duties of the government as God's minister. I mean, do you think of, when you think of government officials, do you think of them as ministers of God? Servants of God. Yeah, we don't normally think that way, do we? We have to ch- change the way we think. We'll look at their lives and, and maybe we see corruption and we'll just write that off. And yes, they should not be corrupt. But, but God says, His Word says that they're His servants, they're His ministers for the good of His cause. The authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So last week we talked about the duties of the government or the magistrate. They're to govern according to God's law. They're to maintain the peace. They're to punish wrongdoing and bless well-doing. They're to, pre- they're to protect the well-being of the community. I mean, some of our police departments now have on their cars to protect and serve. That's what they should be doing. They should be punishing evil and rewarding good last week's sermon. That's their duty under God. The, the, the government, civil government on earth is to be instructed by and guided by God's law because they are His servant. Civil government is not independent of God. Now, we want to act like it sometimes. But we will we'll all stand before the same judgment throne. Now, there are limits to the magistrate. 
When it says the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, government being a terror to bad conduct and a rewarder of good conduct. And we know that's ideally speaking. And we talked about that last week. How many times I'm going to have to say that before you go listen to last week's sermon? (laughs) Or maybe listen again. But government itself is to stay within its sphere. Civil government has a limited sphere over which they rule. They must, we'll talk about this. They, they must not seek to interfere with the government of the church. Don't they do that? Listen to me. Just a quick aside. I'll take a quick aside and I'll move on from this. And maybe, maybe somebody needs to hear this. But separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. That was in a letter written by Thomas Jefferson. Right? What, what is in the Constitution of protection of the church from the state? And the, the state not sort of having an official religion and that kind of thing. They're not good at anything, seemingly. Certainly not running the church. Oh, my. The separation of church and state is not in the Constitution such that it would limit. Listen, the Constitution doesn't limit Christians from being Christians and serving in government as Christians. And it certainly, the Constitution would nowhere teach, and certainly the Bible doesn't teach, that God has no authority over the state. He's king. All, what did Jesus say had been given to him? All authority in heaven and on earth. Submit to him or not, he's your king. That goes for the president and everybody underneath him. He's your king. God has authority over the state, and the state has a responsibility to execute its job under his authority and according to his law, and Christians should be able to serve as Christians in the government. There's nothing in the Constitution and certainly nothing in the Bible that would prohibit that. I mean, I know there's a lot of people these days that want to parade separation of church and state, and what that means is, you know, religion is this private thing that doesn't come into the public square, and, and you can't bring the word into into civil government. That's just not true. And that wasn't in the Constitution or the hearts of the founders. Just listen, if you want to if you want to have proof of that, all you have to do is go to Washington and look around. That's really all you have to do. Just a few examples above the speaker of the house of the house title in Congress. It says in God we trust. Each president at their inauguration has said, so help me God. Our national anthem includes references to God. The Declaration of Independence mentions God four times. Oaths in courtrooms have always included a mention of God since the beginning. What does it say on our dollar bill? (laughs) The Supreme Court, listen to this, the Supreme Court building has carvings of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Etched in the walls to remind those justices of their responsibility to God and His law. Now, we certainly have moved far from that. The Constitution prohibits the state from meddling in or trying to rule over the church. Like I said, it protects the church from the state. What does the First Amendment say? I'm not going to read the whole thing. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Why do you think the government lost lawsuits when it tried to shut down churches? Because of that. 
Now, it took some time for that to take effect, and some people didn't go back to worship as quick as they should have. But government has no business sticking its nose in the sphere of the church. I mentioned sphere sovereignty. I have a slide, I think, here for you. And there's a, we could put family here too, but since that's not in the sermon, we won't do that. But here it is. God rules over the state and the church. And the state has a responsibility to God and the church does. But notice the state and the church are here under God. The state doesn't rule over the church. We've given way on a lot of those things. And if it comes, if it comes to the point of, of the state ruling over the church or we won't have a 501c3, guess what? We won't have one. Won't let them get their hooks in us that way. Westminster Confession summarizes it this way. In 23, sections 1 and 3. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under Him and over the people for His own glory and the public good, and to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword, Look, for what purpose? For the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of them that are evil. Now, look at this last part I quoted there. There's more there, but I cut some of it out. Civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven or in the least interfere in matters of faith. It's not their realm. It's not their business. So the duties of the magistrate, the conscience the conscience of the citizen is to obey, obey as much as possible. The duties of the magistrate is the protection of the citizenry, promotion of peace and order. And then we, we've got duties of citizens here last. Look in, in verse 7. And in verse 6. I'm, I'm backing into verse 6 and then verse 7. But you remember the first part of verse 6 said, because of this you pay taxes. And then verse 7 says this, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. You could think customs or tolls there. Respect to whom respect is owed. And God commands us to respect those who rule over us. And honor to whom honor is owed. So, as far as that first part, taxes and revenue, it is right to pay taxes to provide for the government to do its job. <clears throat> I mean, those, those in, in, not in all places, okay, but those nice roads we ride on, and all, that doesn't happen by fiat, right? Those, those are good uses of tax money. The military... Our defense, those are good uses. The police forces, those are good uses. There's a lot of good uses, but, but those things take money. And that money is raised through taxation. And so it's to be our joy, yes, because we're obeying God. And it's certainly our duty then to pay taxes. We, we've got to get over this thing of thinking that taxes are evil. And of thinking that, it's, that we shouldn't have to do that. When God's Word says that we should have to do that. 
So part of God's word, part of loving God is joyfully obeying him. And part of obeying him is seeing taxes differently. I know that our tax money is abused and used for things we would never want it to be used for. That's not under our control, except for we have the... I hope we still have the ability to vote and have those votes count and go towards that form of control and elect representatives who will represent us rightly. But, see, we know who rules over all that. and We know who's in control and who's going to provide for us. So we seek to honor and obey Him. And He says that we're to pay taxes and customs and you think sales tax, however you want to add all those things together. But the secular ruler is involved in a sacred service as God's servant. And listen, the church is supposed to remind them of that. The church can speak truth to power. It's supposed to remind them that they're God's servants and remind them of their duty and show them what the law and the Word actually teaches. We don't rule over the civil government. God does rules over the spheres. But the secular ruler is involved in a sacred service as God's servant, whether he realizes it or not. Therefore, since government is God's institution, the payment of taxes. This is what Moo points out, Douglas Moo. Government is God's institution. The payment of taxes becomes a responsibility that the Christian owes to God himself. Isn't that amazing? That's a transformative thought, isn't it, when you come to thinking about taxes. First and foremost, my taxes are a responsibility that I owe to God. Because He has put government in place. He says they're His servant. He's given them a job to do, and we're to support that job, and this is one of the ways that we do it. Taxes are first and foremost a debt we owe to God. Then... Under that, we owe to one another to support good government and, like, to the government to support it with, with funds. And if they're abusing that, certainly there, there are legal ways to come after that, hopefully, and, and get that straightened out. But have, how, when's the last time you thought of when, on April the 15th that you're fulfilling a responsibility to God first by paying those taxes? And I hope you're not part of the person, people that would say, well, I don't pay taxes. I get a refund. <laughs> you don't get it all back. Okay? But it's foremost a debt to God. So we are to, we are to joyfully pay our taxes. And if our taxes are too high, we are to work against that in legal ways. And listen, beware. People have been taken captive of charlatans who try to teach them any, a variety of things, one of which is that it's a voluntary system. You don't really have to pay the taxes. You get in real trouble by not paying your taxes. First, it dishonors God. Secondly, there are laws against that. And they can come after you. You can end up in jail unless you're well connected. That's another Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to who taxes owe. Revenue to who revenue is owed. And listen, we, we get caught up in worldly ways and struggle with these last two a little bit, don't we? Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. 
We are to respect the, their authority by obeying as much as possible. We are to honor their office. And listen, this doesn't necessarily mean they're worthy of respect, does it? But we honor and respect God by honoring and respecting the things He's put in place for civil order and peace and prosperity. And yes, people pay a price when they ignore that and do different things. But we have a responsibility to show respect and honor for their position. I mean, Paul, in his testimony, before the Roman governor Festus calls him, what did he call him? Most excellent Festus. He did that respecting his position. Right? I mean, what are we, when we go before a secular judge, what, what, what are they called? Your honor. Are all of them honorable? No, but in that context, that's, what, that's how they're addressed. As your honor. It says nothing about their person. It's just the proper respect for their title and the authority. You know, the, the verse that I have before you as a memory verse, 217, uh, in Peter, you know who was the emperor when he said honor the emperor? That was Nero. I mean, honor him as much as you can, obviously, without, not, without letting him be God. But honor the emperor. Not because that particular emperor was honorable, but he was part of that civil government that had been put in place with a responsibility. Honor does not mean obeying them instead of God, but it means honoring our leaders as much as possible without dishonoring God. So how do we honor? How do we do this? How do we respect them? And how do we honor them and give honor to, to, to those to whom it is right to give it, to those to whom it is owed, it says here? Well, we talked a little bit about this last week, praying for them. Praying for them. Honor them by praying. I'm not in application yet, though. Honor them by praying for them. Honor them by respecting their office and authority. Honor them by obeying all just laws. Honor them by being respectful even when you disagree. Honor them by being respectful even when you disagree. Be respectful in your disagreement. Avoid slander and personal attacks. I know this is not comfortable because a lot of us have slipped into that. It's the way of the world and it's the way of the conservative party sometimes or whatever party you're a part of is to, is to demonize your opponents. Be respectful even when you disagree. Speak evil of no one, Scripture says. And then lastly, look above the sun. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Go back and listen to our series on Ecclesiastes. Look to God. Eyes and hearts and desires and hopes fixed on Him. And do these things out of love for Him first. And out of a desire to support what He's put in place. And to the extent that I can, contribute to and support the order and the peace that will come from good government.
See, Paul's intent in this section of Romans is to set up, set forth the normal relationship between believers and ruling power. He fully understands that, that ruling power won't always reward the good and won't always punish the evil. And there, you know, we, we've talked about, we saw civil disobedience in last week's sermon where we, we don't obey. When we have a choice between obeying God and obeying man, we obey God. Right? But Paul's setting forth the normal situation and the normal response that we're to have, sort of the default with the, what we're to strive for as much as we can. So we should submit to and support the governing authorities as much as possible, obeying all just laws that are in accord with God's commandments. And we should therefore carry out their statutes unless the state commands us to dishonor God. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. So application quickly. I am there now, Joel. How do we apply this text and these texts that we've been looking at? Well, give appropriate honor and respect to those who are serving in government. It is a very hard job. And listen, like we said last week, for those that are wicked, pray for their salvation. Those that are righteous, pray for their strength and support and the increase of their tribe. Right? Pray for God to be honored in the midst of government and for those who are not honoring Him to repent and to trust Him. So give give the appropriate honor and respect through prayer and obeying as much as possible. See government. Here's where we struggle. See government as God's good gift. As his minister, we have a few. I mentioned this last week. We have a few places in the country that we can look. When you stop governing well, what happens to the society? You get chaos. You get bands of thugs running into stores and carrying out everything they can carry out. And then you get government telling people to do nothing about it. Defund the police if you want to. You better have. A big bunker you're going to live in if you're going to get rid of all the restraint in the society. Because people's hearts are not good. They are evil and it will descend quickly into chaos. So see government, even as, as needy and, 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 and imperfect as it is, as God's good gift and His minister. Why? Because His Word says that. And be willing to support it with your taxes. I think if we can see our taxes as first and foremost our responsibility to God... We'll stop grumbling about it so much. We'll trust Him to meet our needs and pay what we're supposed to pay. Take every legal deduction you can take. Notice I said legal deduction. Don't, name, don't call your dog your child and anything. Even though they are. To take another deduction, right? And listen, to the extent that it's needed, then seek tax reform through legal means. constantly need to be keeping the government accountable as citizens. Here's the big one, though. Trust God to provide everything you need. If we're contented in God, if we know that He's got us, if we know that He's going to provide for us, we're going to react a whole lot better to these kind of stresses and pressures. Because there's nothing the government can do about that. There's nothing anybody can do about that. Trust God to provide everything you need. How can I do that? 
He's promised to do that. If you don't have it, you don't need it right now. Look at me. If you don't have it, you don't need it. You have everything you need right here today to love, honor, enjoy, and glorify God in the situation that He's put you in if you're pressing into His grace. If you're grumbling and saying, I need more to be happy, or God has withhold good from me, or He needs to do something better for me, you're sinning. Own it. We have everything we need, and He'll always see to it that we have everything we need. Listen, that doesn't mean we'll have everything we want. That doesn't mean everything will be the way we wish it would be. He's real with us, isn't He? In this world, you will have trouble. And cry and complain until the trouble's over. Is that what he said? Be of good cheer. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Leap for joy when you're persecuted. Why? Because I'm with you and for you and will provide everything you need. Grumbling doesn't shine as light in this dark world in which we've been placed. Grumbling dishonors your God. It shows lack of faith in God. Lack of trust in God. And that can all be repented of. Look to the cross. You want to know if He loves you and is with you and is for you? Look to the cross. That's all you need. Because it is very wicked to look at Jesus on that cross dying for our sins and say, that's great, but I need something more. Look to Christ. He's going to provide everything you need. He promises to do too. If you're struggling with that, and some of us have a bent towards worry, go meditate on Matthew 6, the second part. It was quoted in Sunday school this morning by Guy Waters. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will He not clothe you? Will He not provide for you? Will He not see you through? And and better than seeing you through, He promises to make all of your trials work for you now. Do you trust Him to do that? I'm hollering at myself as much as I'm hollering at you. Because we forget this, don't we? And I'm not really hollering at you. That's just good preaching. But, no. <laughs> Teasing. you got to lighten up every once in a while, don't you? So trust Him. That's really the fundamental question. Everything that comes into my life is asking me that question. Do you trust me? Trials reveal our faith, whether we have it or whether we don't. Trust Him. He's trustworthy. He doesn't promise to take away all your trouble, but He promises to be with you in the midst of it and make it work for you in that it makes you like Christ. And He, he will surround you with, a, with a, a company of believers that will come alongside you if you will let them in the midst of your trouble. So one of our applications is to repent of unbelief. And in six, be good citizens of the country which the Lord has sovereignly placed you. I'm not going to go to the verse and show it to you. But God commanded the Israelites that were going into exile to be good citizens there. He had, you are where you are because He is sovereign and has placed you there in order to bring glory to Himself in and through your life and to make you like Jesus. God has sovereignly placed us in the United States. So we're, we are to be good citizens here. We are to submit as much as possible, pray for our leaders, work for the good of the government, and honor those who serve. doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable. And this is the last thing I want to remind us. Because we get, 
Listen, the default setting is to get up every morning with your eyes below the sun. Just looking at stuff here. And just interpreting things based on circumstances. Look above the sun. Remember this. This world is not your home. You are in exile here. This world is not our home. New heavens and new earth is our home. And we are on the way there. And on the journey, we're to glorify and enjoy Him. See, it's coming. All will be just and all will be joyful there. But He left us here for a while. Why? So that we can practice grumbling? Even the kids are saying no to that. We are left here for mission, not paradise. We are left here in the midst of a fallen world of darkness and death and suffering and pain as His children and His agents of light in this dark world. We are left here for the mission. Christ rules for His church for the mission in the context of civil governments where we seek to be good citizens and live for His glory at the same time. We are left here for mission, not paradise. God's primary purpose in your life is not comfort. It's conformity to the image of Christ. And if we'll remember, He's with me. How do I know? The cross. He'll provide everything I need. He's promised it. He'll be with me in the midst of trials and suffering. And He will use me as light and salt. Listen, sometimes we never shine so bright as when we're going through something really hard and we handle it differently than the world does. Yes, we mourn or, or, or all of that, but we mourn in hope. Or we suffer in hope. And in the midst of... I've, I've, heard, I've seen people do this. Lord, may it be me more and more that will be, uh, and heard of people doing this, that will go to the doctor and the doctor will say, you have cancer and three months to live. And they'll say, praise God. Not what I would have chosen, but he's in it with me. He's going to see me all the way home. And listen, if you believe what Corey was teaching us this morning, and what, what, what the, the, please come to 915 class. There's such good information in there that helping us set free from the fear of death. The Christian's best day is his last day. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. We're set free. The sting of death is gone because Christ took it. This world is not our home. So look to Christ. Follow Him. Be good citizens. Obey as much as you can without dishonoring Him. Pray for and witness to and be light and salt in the midst of a people that don't know Him. Don't have a Ph.D. in grumbling, but in faith and patience and long-suffering. We're left here for mission, not paradise. I'll conclude with just pointing out one other thing, and there's more than one, and he never thought those were the only two. But one other thing we left out of, of that uh, should have been added to Ben Franklin's list of things that are unavoidable. Good thing I'm stopping. I'm stopping being able to talk. <laughs> There's one more certainty I want to point out that will fuel your joy for life in this dark world. You know what it is? Resurrection. 
on the third day, raised from the grave, proving it's all true. But there's something else about resurrection. His resurrection is the first fruits of ours. Someday we will pass from this earth and we will be with the Lord in fullness of joy, awaiting the resurrection when He returns. And that that day we will get our new body. And we will dwell on a new heavens and a new earth in paradise with Him forever. Heaven is then. Mission is now. And part of our mission is being good citizens and bringing Him glory by being good citizens in the country He's placed us. See, our resurrection is sure so we can rest in Him and we can serve Him with all of our days left here. Remember how we started last week. Be good citizens of the kingdom of God and of the kingdom of this earth. Live here to love and serve Christ, to trust Him and to know that He is with you. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us, we so quickly degenerate into doubt and fear and unbelief when we get our eyes off of You and we're not in Your Word feeding upon Your truth. We're not in Your worship being recalibrated to Your truth. And we can be sitting here but not be here. We all know that. But Lord, just recalibrate us. Show us whether we have faith or not. Bring about true faith in our hearts and grow us in grace and faith. Most of all, Overarching all this is trusting you and obeying you out of joy because of your great love for us in Christ. So help us to trust you. Help us to love you. Help us to be good citizens here that both honor you and honor those who rule over us. Being good neighbors out of love for you and love for our neighbor. Lord, it's hard. In fact, it's impossible in our own strength. So come... Convict us where we need conviction. Help us to confess. Cleanse us. Help us to repent so that we walk with more joy and purpose as citizens of the heavenly kingdom in this dark realm of citizens of worldly kingdoms. Recalibrate us to know that you didn't leave us here for paradise. You left us here for mission so that we will see our citizenship as opportunity to be light and salt for you, both with our lips and with our lives. So help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to joyfully obey you and shine your light through us. Save your people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing and believe. Sing and believe, number 112, complete in thee.